Proverbs 4, verses 1 to 19. And our theme this evening is simply get wisdom. Get wisdom. Something that is emphasized to young people finishing school or university is the need for them to have their curriculum vitae, their their CV, well presented and up to date when they go looking for employment. And even those of you perhaps who have been in employment for many years have had that experience of having to, if you like, dust off the CV and and give it a polish and get it up to date. Uh, And that certainly is a very important thing to do to Make sure that you you present yourself well, as it were, uh, to prospective employers. But a CV will not tell them or anyone else the most important things about who you are. Are you, for example, a reliable person? I'm sure there haven't been too many people, they'd be very foolish if they ever wrote on their CV, I tend to be late, or I tend to lose track of time. I mean, there'd be no point even going for the job interview if that was the case. But that's not to say that plenty of people who have a very good CV have turned out not to be very reliable. Are you a kind person? Are you a hard-working person? These things perhaps could be written on a CV, but there's no proof of it. Who you are on paper might be a lot more impressive than who you turn out to be in person. You might have gained prestige, achieved academic excellence, without first gaining Wisdom. We remind ourselves again how wisdom is defined for us in Scripture, the beginning of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge there just being another word for wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible's definition of wisdom has nothing to do with exam results or popularity. It's to do with our relationship with God and his word. And these early chapters I've mentioned already this evening, again, there are a series of appeals, of, of heartfelt, passionate appeals from a father to his children. And it's good to see several children here in worship this evening. Uh, the sermon is particularly for uh, children and young people, though I trust those of us who are older can gain from it as well. Proverbs is a book for children and young people in particular. And we come this evening to the fifth and sixth appeals that the father makes to his children. The, first, uh, the fifth one being in verses 1 to 9, the sixth one being in verses 10 to 19. And in the heart of these appeals, look what the father says in verse 5. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Father is saying to his children, whatever you become, whatever or whoever attracts you in this world, whatever you set your heart to be or to do, before you go after any of it, get wisdom. Go after wisdom. Charles Bridges, an older commentator on Proverbs, he says, wisdom can have no place if it has not first place in our lives. If it is to be anything, he says, it has to be everything. Wisdom, the ability to know and apply God's word to the nitty gritty of life, that is what our children and that is what all of us need more than we need anything else. So how do we get wisdom? Well, there are at least three ways that these two appeals of the Father give to us this evening of how to get wisdom. First of all, 
Pay attention to wise parents. Pay attention to wise parents. This is verses 1 to 4. Look again at verse 1. You, you, you can, those of you who are parents or grandparents this evening, you, you know what it is to, to have this longing for your children to listen. Verse 1. Hear, O sons. He's pleading with them. A father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Notice the commands there. Hear, listen to me, be attentive. Do not forsake the instruction of your father. Go into a classroom full of teenagers or university students today and tell them to listen to their parents and you'll probably be laughed out of the room. Our culture says, I define myself. You haven't had my lived experience. I don't need to accept anyone's advice. And perhaps there are many young people in our culture today who would angrily say, my parents have held me back more than anyone else. Uh, and there's this disdain, there's, there's this lack of respect, lack of interest in the teaching of parents. And not just of parents, but of the traditions that have held society, certainly Western cultures, in good stead for centuries. There's this groundswell of desire to just ditch the traditions and morality and teachings of past generations. Our, our, our society is far more about what is new and novel and what suits the individual. That's a world away from the culture of King Solomon. And indeed, it's a world away from almost every culture that has ever existed. It was simply assumed in King Solomon's day that for a child to have any chance of a long, prosperous life, they ought to listen to and obey those in authority over them. Parents, guardians, elders, teachers. Notice here in chapter 4 how the father tries to emphasize this to his children by reminding them that he was once a child himself. Again, interesting to think that King Solomon wrote these words and so he's about to share with us here some of the words of his father, King David, uh, Solomon himself trying to pass these words on to his own children. Uh, and in an effort to get their attention, he says, look, I was once your age. And look what he says in verse 3. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Boys and girls, young adults, you perhaps don't often think about the fact that your parents once the age that you are now. Very hard perhaps for you to believe that. It was even harder for your mums and dads and your grandparents because we hardly had any pictures of our parents when they were young because they hardly had cameras back in those days. At least as you grow up you'll be able to see photos, plenty of photos of your parents when they were your age and they were your age once. And they like you had people in authority over them who sometimes told them what they didn't want to hear, who sometimes told them no, or who sometimes told them later, because they knew what was best for your parents. Notice the word he uses in verse 3. When I was a son with my father, tender. That's not a very common word in Scripture, the Hebrew word there for tender. It's sometimes used to describe a young animal, uh, that is fit for sacrifice in the sense that it had to be young, it had to be without blemish, it had to be full of health and energy. 
and children and young people. That's what you are this evening. And that's what your parents once were as well. They have been the age that you are now. And you are to listen to them. That's not just a suggestion, it's a command. It's one of the Ten Commandments, of course. Honor your father and your mother that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Notice again in the commandment there, the attachment to long life. Long life, not a guarantee, of course, this side of glory. But if it certainly doesn't do us any harm. It, it, it heightens, the, increases the chances of a long life if we live according to the wisdom that others can give us. Paul says, similar to the commandment, Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 1, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Boys and girls and young people, it's no, it's no exaggeration to say that if you have parents who are leading you and guiding you according to God's word, then you should take their commands and instructions as God himself speaking to you through them. And for all of us who uh, are under authority of some kind, those of you who are members of this church or uh, under the uh, leadership and, and shepherding and pastoral authority of your elders, and insofar as we remain faithful, and insofar as I as your teaching pastor remain faithful to God's word, then you're to receive the preaching and teaching of your elders as that of God himself. Some people, of course, object not just to the notion of listening to parents, but listening to any authority figure. Uh, and sometimes we have to realize that that is because they have suffered abuse or mistreatment at the hands of authority figures, whether it be a parent or someone else that they had trusted. And when those people would come to passages like this, or when they try to grapple with God's word and, and hear God described as father, there are people who associate those words with the worst experiences of their lives. Because perhaps they had fathers who acted very wickedly or other authority figures who acted very wickedly towards them. But we're to help those people, and, and if we are among those people ourselves, we're, we're not to come to God's word assuming that he is as bad or worse as the so-called father figures or other figures in our lives. Everyone else is judged against the standards that God has set. And he is a kind father. And he is a gracious father. And he is a present father and a faithful father who wants us to come to him. Who has made it possible for us to have fellowship with him by sending his only beloved begotten son to, to make peace between us and him. And so even if we find ourselves in a culture that disregards or, dis, or has no trust for authority figures, or even if some people have had legitimate reason to doubt whether they can trust authority figures, God is in a category all of his own. And he is to be believed, and, and we, we can trust him when he tells us that he is a good father. So children and young people, insofar as you have fathers and mothers, who honor God and walk in God's ways, listen to them. Might be the least fashionable thing I could possibly say, but it's one of the most important I can say to the children of this church. Your social media influencers don't know you and don't care about you, no matter what they might say on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube. 
They say what they say and do what they do for one reason and one reason only, to build their own profile, to increase their own influence, to line their own pockets. And your friends at school or university, I hope, do genuinely care about you and love you, but they don't care about you or love you as much as your parents do. In five years or ten years' time, you might have no more contact with them at all, but God willing, your parents will still be there. Your parents know you and love you more than you will ever realize. And if they are parents who know and love the Word of God, they are wise parents. And so you must be attentive and not forsake what they teach you. Remember the example of the Lord Jesus in this regard, boys and girls. At the age of 12, we know the story of uh, his parents lost him in the temple complex in Jerusalem. But then they find him and they go home. And Luke 2 verse 51 says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. You would think that if ever there was a child who didn't need to listen to his parents, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. If ever there was a child who could have said, I don't need to submit to my parents, it was Jesus. God the Son who came down from heaven, but he did submit to them. And the next verse tells us what happened next. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What would Jesus do? Perfectly good question to ask whether it's written on a bracelet or not. But one of the things he would do if, you, if he were you, boys and girls, is to listen and submit to godly parents. And of course, parents, what a huge responsibility this places on us. Are we worth listening to? Are we teaching our children the ways of wisdom? And this is not just about family worship. Family worship is the, the minimum requirement. But we're instructing our children by the way that we talk to our spouse. We're instructing our children by the way that we handle our money. We can instruct them by taking them with us when we visit someone in need. We're instructing our children in the commitment that we show to worship and the Christian fellowship. Our children know that we would far rather see them faithful to Christ and serving Christ and becoming more like Christ than enjoying all the money and holidays and popularity of the world. Our children know that far more than we want them to be wealthy or influential or popular or powerful, we want them to be wise and we want them to be holy. By God's grace and the help of his spirit, parents, may we know, and grandparents and aunts and uncles and members of this church who have influence over the children of this church, may we know and love God's word ourselves so that we can instruct and, and guide our children by word and deed in its wisdom. So how do we get wisdom? First of all, pay attention to wise parents. But secondly, prize true wisdom. Prize true wisdom. That is Esteem it, value it, treasure it. And this is verses 5 to 9. Look at verse 5. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. We'll see later that there are things that the father here absolutely does not want his son to do. But first of all, he's more positive about the things that he does want his son to do. And just notice again, that there's such an urgency, there's such a... Uh, almost a pleading from the father here uh, in verse, verse 5. Get wisdom, get insight. He doesn't beat about the bush. 
doesn't say, well, you know, it would be really good if you could maybe have a look at the word. Some Get wisdom. Get it. And don't forsake it once you have it. Make it your top priority in life to get wisdom. And everything else that you need will flow from that. Remember the story of King Solomon himself, the example that we have from him. In 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon becomes king. He, uh, the kingdom is secured that his father David left him. And Solomon's young and inexperienced. And, and God says to King Solomon, you can ask me for anything you want. And young, inexperienced Solomon asks God for wisdom. And we read in 1 Kings 3 verse 10, God says to him, You have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. So behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you. So notice, friends, wisdom and honor may fall, sorry, wealth and honor may follow wisdom. But there's no guarantee that wisdom will come after wealth and honor. It's entirely possible for someone to become powerful and influential. There's many, many examples of it in our world. To, to get into positions of power without any of the wisdom of God to guide them. But it's hard for them to then humble themselves to receive God's wisdom. But someone who already has God's wisdom and who then gains power and influence and wealth is far better equipped to handle those things because they're walking in the fear of the Lord. I mentioned Joseph this morning in passing. Joseph's an excellent example of that. In verse 6, the father again describes wisdom as being like a beautiful woman. This is another theme of Proverbs, one of the ways that wisdom is often described. And in verse 6, he says, do not forsake her. She will keep you, love her, and she will guard you. Notice verse 8 as well. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will, uh, really, almost in, a, in, a, in an erotic sense, that uh, the, the father here is very much calling to mind the picture of a faithful husband and wife. That's what his relationship with wisdom is to be like, the faithfulness of a husband and wife together in a marriage. We're going to see as we get into Proverbs 5 and 6 a, a very clear, blunt warning on the issue of adultery. Proverbs has a lot to say about marriage, a lot to say about adultery. And the father in those chapters describes to his son the alluring call of the adulteress. The adulteress offers a temporary fling, pleasure and excitement for the moment, but guilt and brokenness afterward. And that's a picture not just of the sin of adultery, friends, or of other kinds of sexual immorality, but of all sin. It offers so much and perhaps even delivers but at first, but in the end it breaks us and it ruins us. Wisdom, on the other hand, is like that excellent wife, that faithful, loving wife with whom, despite the lies that the world would have us believe, that, uh, that, that, that that's the boring way to go. A lifetime of faithfulness in marriage. In fact, wonderful intimacy, wonderful friendship, wonderful blessing is found there for a lifetime. And so the Father is saying here, friends, hold wisdom close like you should hold close your wife. 
have a higher regard, a deeper concern for wisdom than you do for anything else. The same way a husband is to have a higher regard and a greater concern for his wife and the wife for her husband than they do for any other human relationship. Prize her highly, he says. Again, the way a husband should highly prize his wife. Love her, honor her, and we should do the same with the wisdom of God. Scriptures. Notice also verse 7. Verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Now that might sound a bit strange at first. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. Remember chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Fearing God is an attitude. If you have the right attitude, you can gain more wisdom. Or to put it another way, friends, the passage is simply saying that wisdom or, or becoming wise is a process. It's not going to happen overnight with one decision. Becoming wise begins with knowing that you need more wisdom. Again, to use the picture of marriage, the beginning of marriage is to get married. But your marriage doesn't reach its pinnacle. It, it doesn't, it, 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 the day you take your vows is, is, not, is not the best day of your marriage. Now, let's hope it's a great day and an enjoyable day. But if, if the best day of your marriage is the first day, well, that's a very sad marriage. Marriage is to grow. Marriage is to blossom. Marriage is to flourish. There's a lot to learn. Time and sacrifice and commitment is needed for that marriage to become the best it can be. It's the same with our relationship with God. It takes fear of the Lord, humility to begin. And it takes commitment to God and his wisdom for that relationship to flourish. So prize wisdom highly. Value it. Don't just see it as something, well, it'd be maybe a wee bit useful to get that. No, it's the best thing. It's the most important thing to get. And so practically, what does this look like to prize wisdom? Well, first and foremost, of course, it means making time for God's word. It means that rather than listening only to podcasts about our favorite TV show or, uh, or our favorite football team, or rather than listening only to music when you're driving the car or out for a walk, doing the dishes, maybe listen to someone giving you wise instruction. Listen to a Christian discussion of some doctrinal uh, subject or some practical issue. Listen to a sermon. Listen to a lecture. You could do the equivalent of listening to, the, uh, to a master's degree worth of lectures just by driving your car. It means that rather than lie in until the last possible minute before you have to go to school or university, you get up in enough time to get some wisdom from Genesis or Philippians or the Psalms or whatever part of God's word you're in means that rather than assuming we can make decisions on our own, we pray about those decisions or those difficulties, as we saw with Isaac and Rebecca this morning. Or we seek the wise counsel of parents or trusted Christian friends or trusted elders or other leaders or mentors. Maybe some of you at different stages of your life ask someone to be a mentor for you when you were in the little kid stage or when you were in the starting a business stage or the taking on of church leadership stage, that you, you sought out a Christian mentor for those times to get wisdom from them. Get wisdom. Whatever you get, 
Get insight. Get it from the scriptures. Get it from worship. Get it from Christians who are older and wiser than you. And the promise comes in verse 9. Prize wisdom highly, and she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Reminds us of the words Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. This is not a crown of authority like our king would wear. This is a crown of achievement. It's like the equivalent of a medal given to one who's finished a marathon. Or they receive a, a bouquet of flowers or uh, whatever it might be. Only those who see the race through gain the crown. Are you doing all you can to get wisdom, to prize her highly, so that one day she will exalt you? So how do we get wisdom? Well, we pay attention to wise parents. We prize, we value wisdom. And then thirdly and finally, we pick the right path. We pick the right path. Look at verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. As I said, verses 10 to 19 is a, is a new appeal. It's the sixth appeal of the book so far from the father. And this time the picture changes. It's like he's giving his son advice as he heads off on a long journey. Uh, and again, we appreciate the culture, the time and place in which Proverbs was written, uh, that someday the day would come when perhaps the son, as he got older, perhaps as his father got older and weaker, his son would perhaps have to undertake some great journey on behalf of the family. No maps, no GPS, satellite, no smartphone to guide you. The father had to talk his son through the journey that he was going to take because his father, again, has been through that journey himself. And so he can instruct his son on the right route to take. And wisdom is like that. It's choosing the right path to take in the difficulties and in the treacherous terrain of this world. You imagine as well, I've used this illustration a few weeks ago in Proverbs, but some of you are used to working in hospitals or you're, you're used to, to visiting in hospitals. And some really big hospitals, they have different colored lines down the corridors. And if you're wanting to get from one department to another, uh, you follow a particular colored line and it'll take you to whatever department or whatever ward you want to go to. If you imagine, friends, that every day of our lives there are two paths weaving their way, two different colored paths weaving their way through our big decisions, weaving their way through the situations, boys and girls, that you find yourselves in in school or uh, in the middle of your sport or your hobbies or when you're online. And there is the wise path to follow and there is the foolish path to follow. Which path will we choose with our money? Which path will we choose when it comes to what we allow our eyes to look at? Which path will we choose when it comes to who we spend time with, the places we go, the hobbies and interests that we have? Notice, first of all, the Father says, avoid the path of the wicked. Avoid the path of the wicked. Look at verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. 
Notice, friends, that he's as urgent that his son not go the way of the wicked as he is urgent that his son get wisdom. He said, get wisdom, get wisdom. And now he says, avoid, avoid, avoid the path of the wicked. Again, it's like he's mapping out the journey that his son will have to take. And he's saying, here's where the terrain is going to get particularly tough. Here's where thieves and, uh, and violent men might be lying in ambush. Here's where the wild animals might gather. Avoid those places. Don't go that way. And again, children, boys and girls and young people, this is particularly important for you. There are things you do not need to experience to know that they are evil or dangerous or foolish. The world would have you believe, just give it a try. What's the worst that can happen? That's how Satan tempted Adam and Eve, essentially. How will you know until you give it a try? Why should God hold you back from living life to the full? There are things you do not need to do, things you do not need to experience, boys and girls, to realize that they are evil. The wise father says, avoid it. Pass by it. Don't even think about it. The thing about sin is that it demands more and more of you. That's what he's saying in verse 16, if you look at it there. They cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. He mentions sleeping and eating and drinking there. The, just the ordinary essentials of life. What he's saying is walk in the way of wickedness long enough. And doing wickedness becomes as routine as eating and drinking. And it dominates your whole life. Says these people can't sleep unless they've had a good day of making other people miserable. Or to avoid the path of the wicked. And that might mean, boys and girls and young people, ending some friendships. Literally avoiding certain people. Or places. Or taking decisive action. To avoid the way of sin. You do not need to try it. To know that it is wicked. But then more positively as we think about picking the right path. He says avoid the way of the wicked. And he says take the path of the righteous. Take the path of the righteous. Verses 12 to 13 really amplify what we've seen already. Verse 12. When you walk your step will not be hampered. And if you run you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Again, this is another of the themes of the book, friends. Wisdom leads to life. God, by his word, God through Jesus Christ, God, by the godly parents and counsel that he gives to us as, as younger people, he's not trying to hinder us. He's not trying to limit us. He's trying to give us the best life. He's trying to give us life to the full. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That is, that is not, a, people say, well, that's so limiting. It's not limiting. This is the way. We don't have to worry about going any other way. This is the way to life. You don't need any other. When you're going through the airport to go on your holidays, you don't want five or six different ways. You want someone to tell you, this is the way to security. This is the way to the gate. This is the way to the plane. 
You want to get lost in some other route that's going to take you past all kinds of nice shops and all kinds of interesting people, but not get you where you need to go. You just want one way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the way to life, life to the full. And if you want that, if you want real, everlasting, resurrection life, everyone here this evening, boys and girls and older people as well, Jesus Christ is the way, the way of wisdom. So which path are you on today? The way the father speaks to his son here, it's clear that you can start in the way of wisdom and then begin to wonder, should I be getting a bit of that experience or going off in this direction? Have you maybe started out in the path of wisdom, but the path of the wicked is attracting you right now? You wonder if some fleeting pleasure, some appealing detour would be worth going after? Wisdom is not just a one-time decision. Faith in Christ, yes, there has to be that point of conversion and repentance for the first time, but it's not a one-time thing either. It's a, a daily decision to follow in the way that he has laid out for us. It's a long, hard, demanding path, but it's the path of life and blessing. Our passage concludes in verses 18 and 19 with this striking contrast between the way of the wicked and the way of wisdom. Verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. If you do not know Jesus Christ, if you're not committed to getting wisdom, then you're stumbling around in the dark. That's the spiritual condition of men and women and boys and girls around us, worshipping their sport or their hobby or themselves, stumbling around in the dark, blindly trying to have it all and do it all and be it all. And it is leading them to a lost eternity, to what the Lord Jesus called hell, a place of outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But if you do know Christ and are committed to the way of wisdom, then the writer here says that your life is like a slowly breaking dawn. We're getting a little bit more sunshine. We're getting a little bit more daylight at this time of year. And it's such an encouragement to see that. And and the Christian life is like that slowly breaking dawn, that that buildup of sunlight, that increase of sunlight upon the land until we reach our journey's end and we see Jesus and the full glory of Christ shines upon us and we become glorified and we have all the darkness of our sin taken away. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 7, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Or in the words of Proverbs, get wisdom. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. Amen.